your wife texting you right there. And <laughs> she's like, I hear you talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> they always know. They always know. Yeah, they, they know. <laughs> hey, well, look, uh, but again, but that's that's something you, you're going to deal with later, right? Because a lot of the, one of the things cops are good at doing, whether people like it or not, you got to have the ability to compartmentalize. Yeah, 100%. It's like, okay, I got to deal with it, yeah, right? It, so it, it's there, there's other people. I have to put my needs aside. Because there's people at there's there's people at risk right now, and you got to get there. Yeah. So again, I mean, I hear, I hear Davis key up, and I'm I'm just like, man, I know he's do I know he's doing what he can. Let me get there to help him to help them. Uh, come up the hill because the school never been to the school. The school was known to us as a school on the hill, kind of overlooks everything. So I uh, I come up the backside of the school. It was later learned that. Uh, Officer Davis had came around the front side of the school, the church. I'm sorry. It, it's kind of, it's a church with a school attached to it, but, uh, came up the backside as I started to come up the hill. That's where I ran into, uh, Mary who uh, works for the school. She's, she's an amazing person as, and, and again, we're asked and we've swore, we raised our hand to do this job and to put, to lay our life down if we needed, if, if that opportunity, I, I don't even want to say that opportunity, but if that situation ever came about where we had to put our life on the line with somebody else, that's what we signed up for. She signed up to teach children. She didn't sign up for this. She stepped up and put her life on the line for those kids. She stood out there. And when you watch the body cam footage of officer Rex, she's the one that's talking to officer Rex about, Hey, there's children inside the school schools on lockdown. We have some kids unaccounted for here's a key enhance him the key. Um, we'll get to that, but she's out there and I'm, I've got information that where the possible individual is and that Officer Davis is on scene. That's all I've got right now. So I'm asking her on scene, where do I go? Never been to the school. She's she's pointing. She's like, this way. They went in over there. And again, she's out in the open. She's not behind cover. She's not, you know, wearing a vest, wearing a helmet. None, none of that. She's, she's just out there. And she's telling me over there. Another employee for the school is out there. Um, he takes it upon himself to help me tells me, follow me. I'm like, Hey, let's go. He starts running, um, weaving in and out of these cars that are parked in the parking lot. Um, if you watch the video, the, the that route to the left, um, kind of goes in like a little quarter circle turn to a vestibule, um, get over there. And that's, that's where he points and tells me like, Hey, right there. And, and I see it. You see the glass shattered. Um, you can see, the bullet holes in the frame. You can see the window, like I said, the glass being shattered. Uh, you can see the shell casings laying on the ground. Um, got on the radio and just advised that I was on scene. I was making entry on the backside. Um, I knew, like I said, I knew Officer Davis was there. I just didn't know where he was. I didn't know if he had gone in over there. Never saw him that whole day, though. Um, I just knew, hey, I'm going in. Uh, so Figured this was anybody else showed up by that point, or was it just you and him? It was just me and him at that point. Uh, we knew the cavalry was coming, it was just hey, seconds matter. Uh, with our training that had been pushed on to us, seeing that this this door was shattered open, I figured this would have been the quickest route to whoever this was that was causing these issues or causing this. Um, because this is the route they took, and I'm gonna I'm gonna fast track through this route, I'm gonna 
follow the route they took if I have like until I encounter whoever, whether it be Oscar Davis or whether it be the individual. Um, so I ended up pushing through, came across uh, the first victim, pushed past, continued clearing um, through a hallway. The school, I can't stress it enough. The school had done a phenomenal job preventing further life loss. They had training prior. Uh, I believe it was during that summer on some active aggressor training through a private entity that came in and taught them. So when the things kind of started, when the ball started rolling on all this, they, they put the school on lockdown. They did what needs to be done in a situation like that. I don't want to talk about some of the things that they did, but they did what they needed to, to prevent further life loss. Um, so I was running into doors that I couldn't get in. Um, I've talked about it where you, when you see the, uh, me go up the stairs, that's a little bit later on, but, uh, I was, I was, I was so pissed. I was like, let me through this door. Um, but Hey, we'll find another route. And we did. Um, but that was the job. Do, that was the school doing their job. And let's, so let's kind of set some more context here, um, as a detective, because we're going to talk later about weapons and stuff like that, because Rex has got, uh, he's got the rifle, but, um, just with you, what are you equipped with now at this point? You've got the vest on, you've got the camera going, what else have you got? On that day in question, um, I had left my rifle in the car. Um, I had my pistol, my service pistol that's issued to me by the department. Um, it, it was a, uh, nine mil Glock. We had just transitioned to the nine mil from the 40, uh, had an RMR on it. Um, and, and tell everybody what an RMR is. Uh, it, it's a red dot basically that sits on top of the, uh, right on top of the slide for your pistol, just to enhance your, uh, your sight picture, if you want to say, or your, your capabilities of reaching, yeah, your capabilities of reaching a farther, uh, shooting a farther target if needed. Um, I had my iron sights that were offset with my red dot just in case the red dot failed. Um, but I had my vest with my soft armor in it. Um, and my plain clothes on with my tennis shoes. And you mentioned too your rifle, because that's one thing I kind of want to talk about too. Not everybody gets a rifle, um, right? There's some extra, anybody can qualify right with the handgun, but to get to a rifle, you've got to do some extra training, right? So yes, we're working on that. Our department, I want to say we're ahead of the curve on some of that stuff, but uh, we've had a rifle program since I came on. Um, it was, you can purchase your own rifle. That was how it first started. You can purchase your own rifle. Here's the criteria. Uh, the department just couldn't afford to buy every officer rifle at that moment, at that point in time. But uh, purchase your own rifle it has to be up to the specs that the department requires. And then you had to do a qual course. You had to go through one of their courses that they provided within the department. It's a three-day course uh, where they teach everything and you, you go and shoot and you have to qualify with it. And then from that point on, once you've gone through the class, uh, every year during in-service, you have to qualify with your pistol and your rifle and your shotgun. But at that point in time, um, when this incident occurred, I was, I have, I was qualified, of course, with my pistol. I was qualified with our shotgun that the department had all were, uh, issued to every officer. And I had been qualified with uh, a rifle that I had purchased myself. Um, I just, I left it in the car. No, and there's there's no judgments here. It's just more. It's just like uh, you know, we're, we're just want everybody to understand. You go to war with what you have. So when you go in the building, I want everybody to be clear about what you've got. Um, I, yeah, and I mean, and there, there, I don't want to say those are some of the regrets, but at the same time, it was seconds matter. Um, I just I left my entire med kit in the car. Uh, it was just get in. We knew seconds mattered, 
and I was just trying to, we were already behind the curve and I was just trying to, I was trying to, I, I was trying to cheat as much as I could. And I was trying to gain back as much time as we possibly could. And you have to make some of those decisions. And that's a great explanation. And, you know, for all the Sunday, or, you know, those Sunday morning quarterbacks, we don't want to hear it. Yeah. If you've never been in the situation and never had to make those split second decisions, and truly in this case, as we're going to find out later, seconds mattered. I mean, every second mattered in this case. So tell us about the arrival of more of the Calvary. So you're in there, you're trying to find out what's going on. What happens from that point forward? When's the next time you know of somebody else showing up on scene? So I get there. Um, I, again, I come in on that one side. I start uh, clearing as much as I can. There's no stimulus. And when I say stimulus, there's no rounds being fired. It's quiet on that aspect, the siren or the fire alarms going off. Uh, I'm doing what I can. I hear on the radio, Sergeant Mathis, detective Cagle, they're arriving on scene. Um, they're getting there. They're advising that they've got a small team and they're, they're making entry as well. Hearing that a small team is now making entry. I knew I was in there and I knew officer Davis was in there, not knowing where officer Davis was, knowing where I am. Small teams making entry at the same near the same area that I had just made entry in. I had to make that tactical decision. I'm going to backfill just a little bit, and I'm going to I'm going to group up with this uh, these this this team that's making entry, and we're going to continue on. Um, we're going to try to we're we're going to try to outnumber whatever we can at that point. Um, so I had backfilled just a little bit, and that's where I linked up with Detective Plessy, uh and another FTO and his. Uh, his officer that had just been cut loose, um, don't to this day, I still don't know their names, but um, we had linked up together. Detective Wagner was with us um, he, on our team, and this is where that pivotal, or that, that situation that occurred that helped us tremendously in this whole situation. But uh, we had all linked up, went up that stairwell where the, my body cam kicks on, went up the stairwell and hit that locked door, came back down. Stop there for a second, because I, I want to put in perspective what you just said. You said you had to backfill a little bit. You had to, you know, exfill out a little bit. That wasn't more that you were, if, if I'm reading this right, that wasn't more about, hey, um, you did, I think the concern was, right, since you were in there by yourself, if you don't link up with that team, they see you, somebody may inadvertently think that you're the shooter. That That is always a possibility. That is. But that's where the training comes in, and that's where the communication I've seen people talk about, hey, you know, we want to be silent. We want to do this and that. All bets are off on this. We're, we're communicating. When you watch the body cam footage, us saying certain things are, are known in the law enforcement world as us communicating and knowing that that's one of our own. Uh, and let's keep moving. But linked up, uh, Officer Rex, unbeknownst to me at that point, Officer Rex, Sergeant Mathis, uh, Detective Cagle and them had made entry on a different door than what I had thought, which was just right beside us. And had already cleared up a little bit that I had backfield across from. We linked up, we met with each other, and we just continued working. Um, how many people are, when you say you've linked up now, how many folks have you got now? So at that point, it was roughly eight officers. Um, the FTO and his partner, they stayed on that stairwell and covered on that locked door in case. Um, the individual came out there. We kept pushing. You see the one officer uh, with the helmet on. Uh, he he's with yeah, us halfway up the stairs, right? Yes. Pointing. Yeah. yeah. So he's with us as we get to that stairwell. Um, officer Rex had pushed to the right, 
clearing that hallway where he, when he had him and uh, Sergeant Mathis came to that T intersection and he tells, uh, he's like, Hey, cover left. And he continues pushing right. He cleared all those rooms. Uh, we linked up with Sergeant Mathis. We said, Hey, they're, mo- they're doing work on the right. Let's keep moving. So we pushed through that, uh, those double doors, got to that stairwell. Information had been provided to us that the individual could possibly be on the second floor. We saw this door was open. We said, Hey, let's go. So a decision was made. We're pushing on the doorway or we're pushing up the stairwell. So Sergeant Mathis leads the pack going up the stairs. I held on the door. So the rest of the team that was behind us, that was catching up, uh, could get to get to me knowing that we're going this way and start pushing up the stairwell as I cover down that hallway. Cause again, it's a fluid situation. Yes. We're getting Intel that the individual is upstairs, but that could have been old Intel could have been 30 seconds old. And that 30 seconds is a big difference. 30 seconds. Somebody could move. Yeah. You know, a hundred feet. And again, this entire time, we don't know where, because there's, there's no stimulus. There's no rounds. And by the time you link up and you're starting to do that now, how, how many minutes into this now do you think you are from the time you got there until the time you linked up two minutes, three minutes, four minutes? Felt like eternity. Um, yeah. I, without the body cam helped paint a lot of this to me uh, afterwards, but I mean, I would, I would venture just feeling it uh, to be a couple minutes. I think ultimately it, it ended up being three. Yeah, it ended up being three minutes and something. But I mean, it felt like eternity. Yeah, and that's the perspective I want people to kind of lo- listen to this as you're doing this, right? You know, because we're talking just from the time you get there until the time the shots are fired. You know, it, it is a short amount of time, but like you say, it feels like an eternity. So let's talk about from the point you link up and now you're pushing down the hallway, waiting for the stimulus. So we we got to that stairwell. They go up. I'm holding on the stairwell. Another officer catches up to me and says, hey, I've got this. Go. So I break off, start going up the stairs. Once we got up, you, once we start making our way up the stairwell, Sergeant Mathis advises us that he's got somebody down. Um, we make the call to keep pushing. Didn't Honestly, looking back, we didn't have to say that. Because we knew what our job was at that moment in time, and that was to stop the threat. However, it was said just just to let everyone, just to reiterate it. Hey, we're doing what we need to do. Keep going. Um, a verbal a verbal cue. It was somewhere around that point that we started hearing those first shots. Could you tell where they were coming from when you first heard them? When we first heard them, we knew they were on our floor. You could tell they were on the floor. We just didn't know where exactly. And we didn't know who was being shot at. Um, this is where Detective Wagner comes in as a big factor for us. Um, when we're on when backfield just a little bit, when we hit that, that locked door originally, um, and I said, hey, let's go back downstairs. We're going back downstairs. And for the FTO to stay up top to hold on that door, it, unbeknownst to me, uh, he had ran back out to his car. If you watch the body cam, and these are little things that I don't think a lot of people picked up on and how everything happened and things happened for a reason. But he, when he came up the stairs with me and we got to that door, you can hear him tell me, hey, Colazzo, tell me what's being said. I don't have my radio. At that point in time, I'm going to be honest. I'm like, I don't care if you don't have your radio. Like, we're going. Like, this is it. Stay in my pocket. I'll, I'll relay whatever I can, but we're going. Now, looking back, things happened for a reason. 
he went out to his car to get his radio. When this all happened, I know he's had his his doubts in relation to it. I don't want to speak for him on this, but I've told him myself, don't ever second guess what your decision was. Don't ever beat yourself up for it because you did what you were supposed to do that day. You were the reason we found that individual because when he went out to his car to get his radio, the individual keened in on him. So the rounds that we heard being fired were being fired at our partner. So he keys up on the radio and our commander who had gotten on scene keys up and you can hear it when we get to that T intersection, you hear on the radio, let the officers know that are responding. We're taking, we're taking rounds outside. We're being shot at. Damn. I'd never heard that part. I'm, I'm glad you just, you explained and, that. And again, that was, I can't stress to him enough. And we try to say his name wherever we can and tell his side of the story on this too, because that was a, that, that's what drew us to that person. In each round, we're taught this. We all we all believe by it. each round that was fired at him was a round, was a round that not being fired at the kids. There you yeah. go. See, I didn't even have to say it. You knew it because that's what's instilled on us. I will take I will take every single one of those rounds. I, he would have taken every single one of those rounds if it saved if it saved a child, if it saved an innocent bystander, and and that's what his role was that day. So we hear him being shot at. We don't know it's him, or we don't know that it's him being shot at until we hear until we hear it over the radio from our commander saying that they're taking rounds out there. And at that same time, things are happening where we didn't know where the shooter was, but we heard the rounds. So we're pushing, we get to that T intersection. We hear that they're being shot at and we hear that stimulus pushing us to the right, made the call. We're going right, which I, in all honesty, didn't have to say because everyone was already thinking it, but it was just that verbal cue, letting people know, Hey, we're going right. We pushed right. We kept moving. Um, officer Rex heard the rounds as well. He had been, he was downstairs clearing to the right. When we made up that stairwell, he heard him and he beat feet up to us without hesitation, caught up to our team as we were pushing up, you know, you have to take into account fatigue. Um, you have to take into account the mental aspect of all this going on, the adrenaline rush, um, the heart rate, everything that's going on internally, pushing to this while also telling yourself, keep moving. Um, I know what was going through my mind and I guarantee you what was going through my mind was going through everybody else's mind. And it was like, Hey, th- this could be it, but this is what we signed up for. Um, we, we, we took that oath that we'll lay down our lives if we have to. And we, we knew going when we were going to go through that vestibule with how loud those rounds were coming, this, this was a high probability that this was what was going to happen. But, um, let me ask you a question right here, uh, Mike did. So you're, what you're describing are after action thoughts. Yes. So is this consciously going through your mind? I mean, you know, it's dangerous. 100%. You hear the round. 100%. And, and when you're hearing those the the heavy duty long gun rounds going, it's sound, and it's an enclosed area. The the sound is just magnified unbelievably. So, it's but, but you're not you're not stopping each step and thinking, oh shit, I'm gonna I might get shot. You got to go. Yeah. So the, all those trainings that we've gone through, the seminars that you sit in, the conferences that you go to, and people talk about these incidences that occur, that fight or flight. 
I think they threw in Hyde now as well. Um, <laughs> but you hear people talk about it, but until you go through it, you don't realize it, that it's true and it's real. Um, my mind, just like everybody else's, was going 100 miles an hour. Um, I, I, my body's going, my body's doing one thing. My mind's doing another thing. Um, it, it, it's hard to explain, but like those thoughts are going on. I'm, I'm telling myself, Hey, this could be it, but I'm going and I'm looking left. I'm looking right. I'm checking my partner. I'm checking my teammates. They're checking me. We're making sure we're good. We're, we're still in this and we're moving. And, um, I looked as we were coming up to that vestibule, I looked, I saw who was with us. I saw that we had, we had some weapon systems in play that could help. Saw Rex, saw he had that LPVO. It's like, Hey, push out with us, man. Without hesitation, he jumped right in. Um, Explain what LPVO is. So it's a variable optic on the rifle. Um, It magnifies your sight picture. And you can you can trust yourself, which don't get me wrong, if we all trust ourselves with our weapon systems, but he could take a shot at a longer distance than I could with my pistol. Um, and that Sergeant Mathis could have with his shotgun. And you mean with confidence that he would hit the target? Yes. We don't know the distance that that shot could have been taken at. Um, any, the sound any, magnifies in those hallways. You have you don't really know yeah. where it's coming from. We didn't know where we didn't know where the individual was, and we didn't know how far it would be until we made contact with that individual. Now, don't get me wrong. If Sergeant Mathis was the first person, or if I was the first person, or anybody else on that team was the first person to make contact, we would have done what we would have had to have done. Um, but we're like like anything else, we're going to cheat wherever we can. Yeah, and let's make a point right here, too, because we're dealing with uh, – you were talking about you had a sergeant. You're dealing with the patrol officer. You're a detective. At that point, rank doesn't mean a sh- damn thing, right? This is all about who's the team, what's the composition of it. Everybody's got a role. And when you saw Rex there with that rifle, it was pretty clear with him with the rifle, with the optics he had, he's probably going to have the best advantage. If somebody has to take a shot from a farther distance from a safety standpoint, he's going to be the guy to do it. Correct. And we just made the call. Um, and that's not saying nobody else would have made that call. Um, I just happened to be the first one to see it, and I was the first one to call it out. And, and that's not to say that Rex wasn't going to do it himself. But that's the but that's the that's the but that's why that's it was that, important yeah. to communicate. You got to communicate what you're seeing, what's going on. You don't want to assume at that point somebody. Yeah, he could have been looking left, and the the shooter would have been off to his right, just out of his vision, and he not have seen it. So it's not that you're telling somebody how to do their job. It's like this constant communication. Make sure you stay safe. Yeah, and and again, in, during this situation, all rules are out the window. Um, communication's key, and I I I'd worked with Rex in the past. Um, we had done some stuff downtown together. Uh, I knew who he was, but I never worked a full on shift with him. I never, you know, went to training with him, a- anything like that. We just worked some, uh, extra assignments together here and there just for a couple hours. Um, but I guess where you have to trust in the training. Cause here's somebody you don't, you know, very little about, but now everybody's placing their lives in the, each other's hands. And I mean, again, we called it up and he, he jumped right in it, got right in front um, you know, we hit that vestibule, uh, with only one door open and we just, we pushed right through that door, um, gave Mattis that, that nudge, letting him know I'm with him. Uh, he had 
he had his uh, his shotgun in his hand, so I don't think he could give uh, Rex that nudge. But I think Rex knew we were there. Um, we could tell the, where the shooter was, so we uh, quickly pushed up. Rex did what he did. We got online. Um, we communicated. We came around. Some things transpired. Uh, I did what I did, and uh, the threat was done at that point. The work wasn't done, but the threat was done. Um, and let's stop here for just a second. I know, I mean, there's, I don't know how much litigation is still going on. So I know part of it, the challenge is that we're not talking specifics, yeah, right? But yeah. uh, the people can go to the body cam video, which is all online. They yes. can see that. Yes. You can see that Rex takes the first shot. You're the second shooter. But what, when Murph and I, when this happened, before we even knew you, before we even met you, Murph and I dissected this a little bit We on our Patreon channel. But one of the, there's two things that stood out to me. Number one was just, here's Rex. We didn't know how many years he had on, but fairly young officer taking just command. Hey, I need a team on me. Let's go. But the second thing that was very impressive, what you guys did was fire discipline. Too many times you see of shootings where it's just pop and then everybody starts shooting. Pop, 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 pop. There mm -hmm. was tremendous fire discipline uh, with your team that day. I have to, I have to give that to our, our training, our training academy, our firearms instructors, um, our, our, our SWAT guys that laid that foundation. Um, I can't tell you countless hours that have been put in on the range just at a patrol level with our training academy at a base level for any officer on the department. And that's not saying like, hey, these are special trained individuals. This is the basics. Or the, this is for the base officer out there on the street, how many hours that they have put into that. They do a phenomenal job. And that goes back to our leadership and I, you know, our leadership and trust these individuals to teach us this way. And they hold that, you know, true and dear to their heart. You know, they take that home with them every day on teaching this to us and making sure that this is going, you know, the training that they're putting out there is one going to save our lives, but save other lives. Did the uh, Uvalde shooting ever enter your mind during all this? No. I knew, I'll be honest, I knew that situation happened. Never crossed my mind. Okay. Um, the, uh, so we got, so the shooter's down, you know, the, all the videos I've seen stop at that point. Yes. They don't show the public the aftermath. Correct. I, that's that's Correct. what I can think of. Correct. Um, and, and I can tell you, I, yeah, I can tell you after that, we transitioned into our rescue task force phase of the situation of that incident, which is at that point rendering aid to those that we can. Um, hey, let's, let me ask you a question here before you go further. At that point, were you confident there was only one shooter? No. And because that, the reason I say that is because even though you're transitioning, you've still got to continue clearing. You still got to look yes. right. And, and again, I'm, I'm saying this, this transition because I can like now after the fact I can say, Hey, this is that, this is that pivotal point where we started that. However, at that point in time, did we know if there was another? No. Did everybody continue doing what they were doing? Yes. Um, did we start implementing a, another aspect of that, of this whole response that, uh, took place that day? Yes. Um, and that's just kind of that point for me mentally to know this is where we started that. Um, 
doesn't mean that it wasn't already started. Doesn't mean that it wasn't going to start a little bit later, but this was just to me, this is, Hey, this is where I clicked to change into that aspect. It was to start that, that you had transitioned into the next phase. It yes. became very apparent um, from beginning, from the time you showed up until the time the threat was stopped. Like what? I think the, according to the video, about three and a half, four minutes, so, something along the lines of that, I believe. Yeah. And like you were saying, when you go, when you think about it now and you think back to it, how how long it was versus how long you thought it was? Did you have an idea? Because obviously, homicide's going to come in, the shooting team's going to come in, people are going to start talking to you. Did you have an idea in your mind already how long you thought it was? <sighs> That's tough because my mind was doing a hundred things. Um, it felt like an eternity. Um, I. <sighs> That, that that's a tough one time-wise. I mean, I felt like I was there all day, but again, it's tough because there's a lot going on um, and there's different phases of it that all had their own eternity timeline to them. Um, felt like forever getting there. Felt like I, I took forever to just get to the school. Then it felt like forever inside the school. Then it felt like forever until I was able to call my wife. Felt like forever until I was able to get home to my wife. I mean, they all had their own time frames, and it's just, it's tough because I, I break it down into different ways. That was one of the questions I was curious about is when did you call your wife after everything calmed? Felt like forever. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, but it could have been a big it could have been a couple of minutes when I afterwards, because what happened was when we transitioned into that rescue task force phase, some of the team, the, the five personnel team up top, we kind of all broke into different roles. Um, I broke off backfield back out to start the medical process or the, the medical response. Um, some of them continued clearing upstairs to see if there was another shooter. Um, some of them stayed with the, 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 the shooter. Um, that took a little while because again, the cavalry was coming. We knew that and we were transitioning into stuff, but, uh, I worked with one of the supervisors that had responded outside with backfilling officers telling them, Hey, here's the route that was taken. Here's, here's where we need to start working on corridors and things, um, doing certain stuff. Uh, that went down, that went on for a little while, uh, until original, uh, more and more officers got there. Once I looked around and saw that there was a good amount of resources in play, I kind of broke off, walked up. I, I remember seeing my commander at some point and said, Hey, sir, I saw Rex. Rex was helping out outside as well at that point. I was like, Hey, you got to get, we got to get those guys out, out, out from where they are, get them out here to us. And we need to detach. And, and commander did a phenomenal job. He said, go, go over Is here. That policy. Is that policy? Yes. Well, I mean, is, is policy really in play at this moment? This is one of those incidences where, like I said earlier, all, all rules are off. If they told me to stay in there and continue working, I was going to do it. But we looked over and we saw that we have hundreds of officers here or, or are responding. Adequate resources are in play at this point. We can break off. And we made, yeah, we made that Just decision. out of curiosity, is, is that Metro PD's policy that if you're involved in a shooting, get the, shoot, get the officer involved off-site? Yes. 
I don't want not, when I say offside. I don't want to say like, hey, they're going to drive them to the nearest precinct, but they're they're going to get off the X and they're going to they're going to start that process because that's a completely. I mean, that's a y'all know it's a completely different type of an investigation, different atmosphere, and it's now you're looking at the criminal side of the house. Um, not saying anybody did anything wrong, but there's always that investigation that occurs. There's always going to be an investigation. Um, well, I think I think that's the right thing to do to get your guys off site there. And, I mean, and again, this is a critical incident, and our commander just looked and he knew. He looked over too, said, "Hey, we got enough, go." And uh, we we went to our vehicles um, as a group, and we all kind of just we were we were detached, but we were still there. How did the conversation with your wife go? Oh, I cried. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I, I broke down. Um, Nothing to be ashamed of. There, there's some of that conversation that I would love to just keep between her and I, but. Oh, no, we're not, yeah. we're not asking um, for the context. It's just, yeah, uh, but how it was, it, it was, it was a hard conversation. It was a tough conversation. Um, had she heard any of this on the news by this point? No. Had any of it made the news? No. I mean, this okay. was fresh. This, and again, yeah, I mean, that's a good point on the time frame for when I actually made her that phone call because she had no idea outside of the text that I had sent. Um, so there was a time frame where she's like, what's going on? I haven't heard. I haven't heard from them. And then there's a phone call. Now, I can't, I can't fathom at this point what she went through when that phone rang. Um, but, I mean, that was a conversation I hope I never have to have again. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we wouldn't wish that on anybody. When you guys all got together at the car, um, it's not like, I mean, you still got the adrenaline going, but at some point, um, as with any critical incident, you get that adrenaline dump. You know, things just start, you know, um, my situation was never close to yours, but we had a guy at knife point one time is, and we're there for 45 minutes holding a weapon on this guy, trying to talk with him and your adrenaline's gone. And when it stops, I felt like, I have never felt an adrenaline dump like that before to where you just feel like you can't stand, you can't walk. What, mm-hmm. wh- how soon afterwards did this impact you? It, it impacted me in different phases. Um, the first, orig- like on scene, after that conversation, I don't even want to say after because it was, it was during that conversation. That's when, real- I don't even want to say reality, but that's when everything came back um, during that conversation with my, li- with my wife. Um, that's when the first wave of emotions hit. That's when that first adrenaline dump hit after the conversation with my wife, you know, I'm still on scene. I can't leave. There's that other investigative aspect that's taken, that's going to be taking place. Um, but I'm with, I'm with my teammates. I'm with the five individuals that just went through this. We're still together. And I mean, it was, I can't tell you. I, I mean, it was how many hugs, how many like moments looking over that my teammates are crying, talking to their loved ones, and um, how 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 that how those emotions just went up and down at different different levels. It, it is, it, and it's, thank you for for being transparent to talk about your emotions here because that's the things that the public never sees. You know, all we see is the body cams all over. You know, I'm I'm going through things as we're talking here, looking up different things about you, and and we're not hardcore robots. We're you're human beings 
who have chosen to serve our fellow man. And, and you know, you do what you got to do. Nobody wants to take a life, but that you saved lives. That's you, you do what you have to do. So, uh, I've noticed, um, here as we're talking, your emotions sometimes get the better of you and, and hell, I tear up here a couple of times. Um, but now that you've been through this story, you've only told this story one other time on a, on a podcast. How are you feeling right now? You know, I, you, you talk about that other podcast. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in that same realm that I was then. I, every time we talk about this, every time I see it, I talk to the families. I talk with Mary. I talk with my wife. I, I, I explain it as there's a wound. My brain is hurt. My body's hurt. But every time we do this and we talk about it and we speak about the victims, I don't want to talk about that other individual. We talk about the victims and we tell their story and we tell the other officer stories and we talk about that. It's like I take that Band-Aid that's covering this wound. I peel it off. I clean the wound up and I just put that bandaid back on. But every time that wound just gets a little bit smaller, it just heals a little bit more. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's one of those things while the wounds may never go away, they get back to a point yes. where you can function. Yes. The, uh, um, I mean, obviously is that it was excellent teamwork and excellent training. You've already covered that. I've just got a million questions here. I kept writing down as you're talking here. Um, one thing I noticed is that um, you continually give credit to others. Um, like you don't want to take any credit for for saving people. Uh, I love that, you know, because we know there's a lot of type A's in our law enforcement culture. Um, you have repeatedly included all the other officers that were involved that, you know, were there with you that you worked with that day. And I think that's very admirable. Um, just out of curiosity, like you're sitting at a Starbucks right now doing this interview, do people recognize you out in public? So, you know how Middle Tennessee is. Um, friends do, of course. Um, families, things like that. But life, life continued. We're not doing it for the glory. We're not doing it for to be recognized like that. I can still go places, and I'm happy about that. In a, in a sense of I can continue with my life and I can live my life and I can try to live my life to the best that I can and not be interrupted. And, and I'm grateful for that. I don't want, I don't want to go to a target and be walking around inside target and be stopped every five seconds. I don't want that. I want to be able to go to target with my daughters and my wife and just live life. And I'm thankful for that. So, I mean, I, that, that's, that's tough on that aspect, but I'm, I'm happy where it's at. We, we started off by talking because we talked about our previous episode, Michael Martinez, and, and the issue of mental health and the issue of, um, you know, working through stuff like this. So let, let's talk a little bit about wellness and stuff, because when did that process, uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to just go out and on a limb here and say, based on what you've told me about uh, Metro, is that they've, they do a lot of good things for you, got a little good training in place. Do they also have an equally as good support program for officers who are involved in critical incidents and shootings? 100%. So we, our department has a PASS program and chaplains, civilians that are part of this program, and they not only retroactively come out on these 
these type of incidences for mental health, but they're also proactive in their approach to where I can't tell you how many times we've done group circle meetings, whether it be just to check in on us or if it's, hey, y'all were all involved in this incident, whether it was the school or just a, a bad call where they're, hey, we just want to see how everybody's doing. Let's just talk. Um, and they've, they've done a phenomenal job with it. I mean, they were, they, they've constantly text, they constantly call, check in, make sure the wife's good. Make sure the daughters are good. Make sure I'm good. Um, heck. Do they call you out on your bullshit when you're trying to say, no, I'm okay. hundred <laughs> percent. I'm like, nah, that, you're lying. Uh, they know, they know. Um, they also, I mean, we have, I love this. We have support animals like dogs. Um, <laughs> they have, they have the dogs that come out and it's like, Hey, you had a bad call. Come see the come come hang out with one of our puppies. You need a support cat. I've got two support cats at my house. <laughs> yeah. Um, heck, our department even. Um, so my wife loves horses. When all this went down, and I think everyone that's listening, everyone that's been involved in something, they know that it's not just us that feel that or that are going through this situation. When I sent that text and I made those phone calls, my wife was involved as well. Um, so no questions asked. Our mounted de- uh, department was like, "Hey, come out, bring your wife, come, come, bring your daughter, come spend the day out here with our horses," and that was just a great experience. And that was her therapy. My therapy is talking. Her therapy is just hanging out with dog, oh, hanging out with horses. Um, and they no questions asked. And that's what I love that that was that they knew. Hey, no, this is going to help. Come out. You know, this is this is progressive for a police department in the United States yeah. to do this. I, Morgan and I were talking. We were talking to Mike Martinez, my old DEA partner. Have your opinion. I were in Vancouver, British Columbia, about a month ago, speaking at a law enforcement conference, and it was wellness. The conference was centered around wellness in Vancouver. Their chief came out. They had their wellness unit there. They had two service dogs there. They had a room set up, a quiet room. Or if you started getting stressed out, you could go in the quiet room. A counselor would come in and talk to you. One of the dogs would come in. I love the dogs. <laughs> I had no idea you guys had, had service dogs there. That's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, they even went brought them out to uh, the children at the school. Um, the school had Excellent. a school got in with a program with that. Uh, dogs were brought in. I want to say some of them might have been adopted. Um, there might be a, a little uh, Rex puppy running around. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They've done a... <laughs> Talk Don't about one other. There. Talk about one other group of people. They uh, and they get forgotten about a lot, but they're the ones that help you a lot too. Let's talk about the dispatchers and the fabulous oh job they did that day. Yeah. So I can't. There, there were some things that happened that afterwards when we went to uh, the Capitol, and one of that some of the dispatchers were there. Um, one of them in particular, man, I, I, I wish I could have spent some more time just talking with him. Um, I was a little upset that we got rushed out. That's something completely different. But I, I mean, if I could have just spent all day with him, thanking him, our dispatchers, like you said, don't get talked about enough. They hear that call come in. They have to type it all out. They have to send it to us, feed us the intel that we need to get where we need to go and what we need to handle the situation. And half the time, they don't know what's going on. They don't know the outcome. When that call comes in, let's a call comes in about a child not breathing. That's traumatic. They're listening to a frantic parent begging for help because their child stopped breathing. Whether it's a heart attack, it's you know drowning. They don't know the outcome of it because some. 
they, they, they don't get talked. I don't want to say they don't get talked about, but like they might get that call, send it to us and never know the outcome. And that's got a way on them. Um, we never, we also never really know who's on the other end. Um, so I, I don't spend, I don't really ever go up to dispatch to say, Hey, and meet faces. I just know a voice and they know our voices, but to meet him and to hear his side, it put a huge, it, it I want to say it flipped the switch in me to be like, Hey, I, that's a different level of trauma that they go through on that. And I, it needs to be talked about more. Um, I was thankful when we went to uh, New York for an event and I was thankful that uh, Jeffrey got to come out to that and spend some time with us. So I was like, you know what? They're not talked about enough either. You know, they, yeah. they you ran into these- one of our buddies, uh, Sean Larkin out there yeah. too. We understood. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you hear, they hear these, com- they hear these calls, they hear, the background, everything going on. They hear us on the radio and they don't know what's transpiring or who's going to actually come home or whose, whose life was saved. And that's tough. I mean, that again, that's another type of trauma or stress that I just, yeah. There's 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 a lot of unsung heroes in these types of situations that, that, most people never even think about. Well, and that's why I brought it up too, because you mentioned like sometimes the quiet room. I know dispatch has gotten to the point they're starting to understand that after certain calls, the dispatchers need to come off the line for a little while. and They've got to get their head um, wrapped around things. There's a, uh, uh, I just, I was, as we've been talking here, I just looked up a couple of things on you and, and uh, I just got to mention this because I'm proud of what you guys did. You, 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 serve the public without regard for your own safety here. And whether you like the recognition or not, that's not why you do it, but it's phenomenal the recognition you guys are doing because I think the whole country was behind you a thousand percent as, as to the way you guys took immediate action and went in and addressed the threat. So I see the Tennessee legislator enacted two resolutions, uh, recognizing you guys. And it's not just you, it's the whole team that was involved in there. The National Association of School Resource Officers awarded you guys a National Award of Valor. The Uvalde Foundation for Kids um, issued, issued you guys commendations for bravery. The uh, you got a call from our president. <laughs> yeah, you got to talk. I don't give a damn which party you're in. We're exactly. very political. I agree. Show, I agree. The president of the freaking United States called you. How cool is I, I that? Tell, I tell you, it, it, you, you don't have to respect the person, but you can respect the rank. There, the office. That's right, and and I also see that you guys are being considered for the congressional gold medals. Have you heard anything on that lately? I, I heard, I heard when that happened. I mean, I haven't heard anything since. Um, honestly, I didn't even know what it was at first. Uh, I had to look it up myself and uh, realize how how big of an honor that is. Um, and that was just ignorance on my part, not knowing what that award was. No, it's not ignorance. You know what that's it is? Right. It's 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 it's. Uh, um, emblematic of the fact that you guys, nobody goes running into these places to say, Hey, I wonder what kind of award I'm going to get. I wonder, you know, I wonder who's going to call me. Right. One of our other, one of the other previous winners on this, Mike or, or, or Murph, go back and take a look at it. Should be episode eight, Mike Neal, uh, the Arkansas game and fish officer oh, yeah. who took out the two sovereign citizens. 
Um, I was fortunate enough to give him the International Association of Chiefs of Police Police Officer of the Year Award uh, back in 2012 for that. And, and I'll tell you what, you, you never go do it for the awards, right? Because with all of that, right, all of that sits on the shelf. And uh, I don't want to pretend that I know what's going through your mind, but I think I have an idea because I doubt that there are very many nights that you don't think about that day and think about the victims. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the awards are cool. I'm, I'll, I'll take them. I'll, I'll shake hands. I'll take a picture. That's, that's, that's great. That makes them feel good doing that for us. I'll, I respect it a hundred percent. Um, but like you said, that's not why we did it. Um, we did it. We did it for the victims. We did it to prevent more loss. We did it to protect everyone that we could. Unfortunately, we weren't there quick enough. Unfortunately, you know, six lives were taken, but those six lives aren't going to be forgotten. Those six lives are going to be spoke about every chance we get. We're going to tell their stories wherever we can. Um, I don't, I don't care about the other person. I care about the six. Yeah. There we were only six, this. And just so I make it very clear, there were only six victims in this shooting. Seven people may have died, but there were only six victims. Do you know how many school, t- how many staff and children were in that school that day? A rough estimate of close to two hundred ish, more so on the upper end of the two hundred um, at the school. We haven't done this in a long time, but uh, and we want to get your uh, okay permission to we dedicate episodes to um, to people that uh, you know deserve recognition. I guess is a nice way to say it. Would you be okay if we dedicate this today's interview to the victims? Yeah, uh, all six of them: Evelyn, William, Haley, I mean Cynthia, Mike, the, the custodian. Uh, he he was the very first one that I saw, and then. Catherine, I mean, she she was the one upstairs. Um, all six of them. So today's Game of Crimes episode with Mike Cuyazo is dedicated to the memory of these six victims. Yeah. You know, we could we could probably talk about this for a long time. And I will tell you, um, when we first met you down there in San Diego, we knew we wanted to get this story out, but we knew we had to jump through some hurdles to get there. But I'm glad we got the story out because I think people need to understand that when this was going down um, and when it was done, it's not like you walk away you're like you're stone cold killer and you go, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Let's go have a beer. It's like people need to understand the long term impact. Well, the impact it had on you, but the long-term impact it's going to have. And if you don't work on your mental health and your mental wellness, uh, you know, every day, this is going to get the better of you. This is one of the, this is the, the fight's not over. The the other thing too, is there's additional victims. There's the dispatchers. There's you, your other team members that show up there. People are going to have to live with this every day. Um, You know, and, and if you don't, and if you let it get out of hand, this is where the, the mental health is so important, right? You got to talk about this. You got to work on it. You cannot stuff these feelings down inside and say, I'll just deal with it later because what happens then that's alcohol, that's drug abuse, that's suicide. You know, and back to that proactive approach with our department, that's what helped a lot. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. You could, you could sit through classes, you can sit through lectures about all this constantly, but nothing is going to prepare you for something like this. Um, or I don't want to say it's not going to prepare you. It's just they can't they can't break it down and 100% and tell you this is what's going to happen. 
they can just estimate on how your body and how your mind's going to handle it. Uh, we all handled it in a different way, but they had gave us those tools to address that. You know, if I, if I, and I'm not saying I do, but if I smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, they told us don't change that. Yes, it's a horrible habit to do, and sorry if any of y'all smoke, but they told us, hey, you smoke a pack of cigarettes a day, don't change. Stay smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. I don't want you to, but don't change it. You Let's say you went home and you drank every night when you got off work. Horrible habit. Don't change that. Stay doing the same things you do. Your body's going to react. Everyone reacts differently. Here's what. Here's the things to keep an eye out on. Here's how to address some of those things the best way that we know. And that's what we did. Um, I knew, you know, working out was my out, was my breakaway, and I just kept doing it. You know, talking about stuff, talking about this was another way of healing, and I just that's my way of doing it. Do you, if this is too personal, tell me to shut up and I will, but do you suffer headaches, dreams, nervousness, any reactions that you didn't? There, there's some. Um, there's some, I don't want to call them triggers. Uh, there's some things that happen, like a fire alarm gets me. Um, it is what it is. Um, I push through it. I have the tools on my belt to help me when that happens. I know the other day, uh, one of the guys made the comment too that that, that gets them. And we kind of talked about it and I kind of explained like, Hey, here's how I handle it. And that was, you know, taught to us from the proactive side by our past folks. Um, I had a really, that day I, I can, I'll, I'll talk about this one. Cause again, there's no way to prepare somebody for this. I mean, you can do what you can, but I have a daughter, um, two now, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I've got two now. Yeah. I'm still adjusting. <laughs> um, and you know, it's been long nights of no sleep in a good way. <laughs> in a good way. Um, but that day I left after handling everything that we did, I went home. My wife's at home. We, you know, hugged each other, cried, uh, told each other how much we loved each other. And it was, let's go get our daughter. So I'm now leaving from that scene, going home for a brief moment, and me and my wife are driving to go pick up our daughter from daycare. And I'm walking in a hallway, and I'm just looking, and these are children that are the same age, if not a little bit younger, from where I just came from. And what went through my mind was... Is my daughter going to be safe if something like this happens? And, you know, it was somewhat comforting at that moment in time when I'm walking up to that door and I look at my wife. I'm like, hey, what's the code to get to this, through this door? And she tells me the code to get through the door to get to the next layer of security to then get in to go get to our daughter. And it gave me a little bit of comfort. Like, hey, we chose a, good, we, we chose a school that did the same thing that Covenant did with taking care of their kids. And that kind of helped me a little bit. But I'll tell you, man, when we hit that corner down that hallway and I see the, the writings on the wall from the kids that drew and we run in there, the school, are, and again, my, my daughter's school doesn't know at that point in time because this is all just fresh. It's being talked about, but they, we, they don't know about us. Um, you know, seeing my daughter playing with her friends inside the classroom, I, I broke down and uh, grabbed her and we kind of just hugged for a minute. I was like, we got to get out of here. Went back out to the car and we just drove home and we just stayed at home for a couple of days. And uh, I mean, that's tough. And there's no way 
there, there's there, there's no way to prep for that except you know just talking about it in my opinion and that's still not going to get you 100% yeah. I don't know how you go through something like this and never get back to a hundred percent. That's a fiction. You never get back to, you just, but you learn how to adapt. Well, look, the, the only comforting thing you say, like about going to that school uh, is knowing that there are people like you and Rex and your team and the other people out there that if anything happens, God forbid that you've got the same people going to respond to that as they responded to covenant that day. Yeah. And you know, our commander said it best with that, with, with one of the Bible verses was, you know, asking who, who are they going to send? Well, send me. And, you know, he, he gave that quote and that stuck with me hard because, and again, the whole mental aspect of everything that's going on afterwards, you know, I was questioning a lot, um, internally, you know, why did this happen? Why, why did God allow this to happen? Why those six, why could it not been none? There, there's a lot. And, you know, one day I'll be able to ask that question and it'll get answered. But right now it's, I, I just have to know that, know it'll get answered one day. There's a purpose. Isaiah 6, 8. Wisdom. Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Yep. We don't, we just, as human beings, we don't have that wisdom. But God gives us all special talents, in my opinion, and, and not everybody can do the job that you did, that Morgan did, that I did. I don't know that I could do the job now, but uh, he gives us those talents to get through it. Um, God bless you, man. Just Well, and that's one of the most existential questions is why does evil exist? You know, yeah. people say, why does God allow evil to exist? Well, um, we don't know. Yeah. But what we do know is that, um, like Edmund Burke said, you know, um, uh, people sleep peacefully in their beds at night because rough men and now women stand ready to do violence on their behalf. So you're the sheepdog. There are wolves, sheeps, and sheepdogs. And it's it's an honor knowing that there are sheepdogs like you and Rex. By the way, I got to tell you, when we met Rex out there, here's a guy, you think about the incident he went through. He has got the dorkiest sense of <laughs> Yeah. Love. You know, what, what's, this, what's the uh, the Southern comment down that's always made bless his heart. Bless his heart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Bless your heart. He has got the driest, dorkiest sense of humor out there. I had to look at him for a couple minutes going, okay, you're serious. Okay. I get it. <laughs> yep. Bless his heart. I love him to death, man. Um, and that's, that, you know, that a, a good segue into this, if you want to say is after this incident, we've all, again, I, I barely knew Rex, but now I know that there's a family there. There's a bond that will never be broken. Absolutely. Um, out what yeah, I hate these cliches on stuff, but at what out out of tragic something blossoms, something beautiful, and that's what's happened here. And that's that again, we'll fall back to what I said at the beginning with Nashville. Nashville's a big city with a small town atmosphere, a small town feeling where I now know that I have a family that is never gonna leave. Um Mary all everybody like can't tell you how many of the fathers from covenant reach out. Um, I know that they're always going to be a part of my life and that that's a crazy thing to happen here. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of cool at the same time. Isn't it, it? it is. It is. It, you hate that it happened that way, but you know, you're thankful that it, it, it how it is right now. Yeah. So let's close out with the, just let's put a bow around a couple things. So obviously anytime there's a shooting, um, there's an investigation, both an internal one and then a criminal one. Um, how long did it take for each one to resolve itself? Uh, you know, I, I believe the criminal aspect is still going. 
Um, that's going to take its time. That criminal investigation on us and on the actual incident that occurred with that individual, um, it's going to take its time. The internal, I believe the internal's done. Uh, I'm back to work. I've uh, been back to work for a while. Uh, everyone's back to work, actually. Um, how, how long were you out before you were brought back to active duty? I, I'm a little stubborn. Um, I, I, we, we hadn't, we hadn't, I thought we hadn't figured that yeah, out yet. I, I, I kind of went back within a week or two. Um, I had, you know, I was working on a case that they actually called. We had a date set in stone on this case. Covenant happens. We're all at home. We're on, we're on leave. And, uh, we had some discussions and I had a meeting with the, one of our judges, Judge Dozier, love him to death. He's probably one of the best judges I've ever worked with. Um, before and after all this, um, he, he's texts me constantly Bible verses, um, and communicates on things. But, uh, I had a meeting with him to go over, uh, this case and execute a, uh, padlock on a business that was because of violence. And, um, the department's like, Hey, we can postpone this, give y'all some more time. Uh, the judge is good with it. And it was kind of discussed amongst all of us. We're like, Hey, no, like, again, there's too much violence. Like we got to go, like we can, we can take our, we, we can sacrifice a little bit for us for the greater good. And that's what we did. I mean, we were back to work, uh, that week or that following week to, to handle that. And, uh, kind of just kept going with the workflow on that. Um, because we knew that there was still more to be done, but hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't like a that? next day thing. What do we call that? I think it's called professionalism. Yeah, professionalism. Dedication to duty. Hey, well, let me ask you this. We want to close out, but um, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to give you a saying, and you tell me if you agree with it, that you and your team, everybody would give every one of those awards back and all the recognition to have six people still alive today. thousand percent. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I would do anything, anything, anything for those six. And, and the, the sad part is you can't bring them back. What you can do is tell their story, like you say, and make sure that we're prepared for the next time and that people understand that, hey, believe it or not, underneath that good-looking, funny exterior. By the way, the way I recognized you everywhere, your trademark, dude, you always wear your cap backwards. So. <laughs> it's a little stubbornness in me. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a, no, I, I know what that is because I have the same thing. It's called being a redneck. redneck. Well, I was going to say, it's not – I, I have hair. I don't have bald spots. It's just just like my hat. <laughs> oh, oh, Murphy well, you got, doesn't have bald spots. Well, he's got two daughters. You just <laughs> yeah, just give it a little, give it a little while. <laughs> yeah, as I say, gray hair is hereditary. I, I inherited it from my kids. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no salt in the hair either yet. It's just I like my hats. It'll get there. It'll get there. <laughs> Hey, well, look, well, let's close up. First of all, um, we can't tell you how much this is. It was a great meeting out there, but hearing the story and diving into it, um, I mean, we still could, we could have talked for another two hours, but I think this really encapsulates everything people need to understand about the impact it had, not only on you and your team, but the community and how you guys are dealing with it now. Um, give, give us a takeaway though, for those communities out there, those people out there, what's the one lesson we should all take away? One or two lessons we should all take away from Covenant be there for each other. Um, the, the community, the community came together in a way that I don't think I've ever seen before. Um, and that was a one, a huge factor for how quick we were able to turn around and come back. But that just everyone loving each other and taking care of each other was the greatest thing. I, I hate that it happened the way that it did, 
or how, how we all got together, but I'm thankful that that's how it, or that it is, it has happened, um, and just be there for each other. And, and if you, and if you're out there, if you're a city or a county or state and you're thinking about cutting your budget, one of the worst things you can cut with law enforcement is cutting training. Yeah. You got to have that training. That's what prepares you. It's, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's, this is, uh, We've done a ton of interviews on Game of Crimes, and it's been a while since we've done this one, one that's been this emotional. Yeah. Uh, appreciate your transparency, telling the story. Um, I think we're going to see you probably in California next year. Looking forward to that. Um, and we'll get to hear your story again. But uh, you guys epitomize the term public servant. Yep. And it's, and it's you, it's everybody you work with. Sounds like this entire Nashville PD, whether you're a gun toter or you're a support, you're an analyst, you're a dispatcher, whatever. I'm just so proud to be from Middle Tennessee and and hear the way things handled there. It's, uh, you know, hell, I tear. I couldn't even say the victims' names. I'm glad you did because I started tearing up. And I don't even know these people. But that's the true sign of a professional. And you guys stepped up to the plate. You you honored the title that you carry, which is public servant. There's no greater calling that you're willing to to uh, lay down your life for your fellow man, and that's that's what you guys were ready to do that day. So, uh, God bless you, Michael. To all the other guys involved with it, to everybody that had played any role, to the trainers at your academy, to the public who is continuing to support you. <clears throat> I mean, it's just fantastic what's going on. You guys are setting an example for everybody else, and. I'm going to shut up because I keep choking up here. Somebody man. quit. Just cut, proud stop cutting the damn onions. Somebody <laughs> yeah. get rid of the damn onions, please. Truly proud of you yeah. guys. Uh, it was an honor. You know, we, we reserve the use of heroes and honors, but it was an honor to meet you guys out there because you know what? You, you were you were somebody that was in the right place at the right time. And it said, if anybody was going to be called, you know, let them call me. And um, we're glad that they called you. We're sorry that the incident happened. But the the fact is, you went there, you stopped it, and um, you saved you saved a lot of lives that day. Because there's no doubt, had you not got there when you did, um, this piece of shit, and that's what I refer to the shooter as a piece of shit, would have continued, and including the taking out a police officer. So, um, our eternal thanks. There's nothing I can do for you that hasn't already been done, other than to say this is us saluting you, saying you know thank you so much for your service to Nashville and uh, to your community. Thank Absolutely. you. All right, don't you guys go anywhere. Everybody else, stay tuned for the debrief. I'm telling you, um, get the tissues, you know, don't chop onions, uh, whatever you want to say, because it's like, and, and just the anguish in his voice, too. It, it's still raw because it just happened. They did what they had to do. Um, he doesn't talk a lot about the shooting itself, but if you go on there, you're going to see is that between Rex and him, um, you and I talked about this tumor. If we, on our Patreon channel, I think we did it case of the month. Mm -hmm. We basically excoriated Uvalde and, and those people down there that failed to act, mm -hmm. failed to act. And yet in this case, the call came in at 1013 by 1024 situation was over. Yeah. You know, and and, and you, we've all seen that video where Rex is, is pulling his long gun out of the back of his truck, and he or his vehicle, his police car, and, and rushes over the door, and, and we all hear him saying, "Give me three, give me three, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go." You know, and that's the response. Is it dangerous? 
damn right it's dangerous. This is what law enforcement does on a daily basis. But the media, man, they're just, they don't want to promote that kind of stuff. They want to tell you about when a police officer makes a mistake or a police officer goes rogue and does something really stupid and criminal. You know, you've heard us say time and time again, nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop on here. But uh, this is what law enforcement around the world, especially here in the United States, goes through on a daily basis. That's why we refer to these people as heroes. That's why we talk about the thin blue line, the culture. Uh, That's why we call them brothers and sisters, because that's what they're doing. They're out there protecting people they don't know and probably will never meet, you know, and and. That's that's what I love about Mike's interview here is he's not taking credit for anything. He wants to give credit. In my book, that's what makes a real freaking hero. Yeah, and um, and again, you can hear we we didn't edit out. I didn't. I do all the editing. I didn't edit out any of the pauses. That's when you hear when you hear a few seconds of silence. We saw it on the video. We saw how how Michael was reacting to it, and was, it's still it's visible, yeah. very visceral. It hurts him to today to talk about this. Yeah, he, but he, it helps know, him it, to talk about it. Yeah, and as many people as they saved, um, you know, they, you can tell that they have. Uh, I don't know. I won't say guilt feelings, but they're sad. Survivor's because, guilt. Sometimes there's yeah. remorse. You know, and they 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 they're sad because they couldn't save the six people that were killed. Just, I mean, this is one of the most. This is one of the best interviews we've ever done. I think, uh, Michael. Thank you so much, uh, Rex. Sorry, <laughs> we didn't get you, brother. Maybe at another time. I think we might see you guys out in uh, San Diego again this year. We're hoping so. Uh, Edwin, on top of everything else, Mike's wife just had a baby a few days before the That's interview, right. and he still gave up his time to come and talk to us. So thank you, brother. Thank you. I for think everything. he said he needed the break. He was sitting outside of Starbucks, you know. <laughs> with, but as with all new parents, they needed a little bit of break. And uh, but hey, look, um, it's great to know people like this exist in this world. Uh, yes. Look, there are wolves, sheep, and sheep dogs. Yep. You need the sheep dogs out there, um, and these two are definitely big sheep dogs. So uh, this is us saluting you, Michael. Rex and the rest of the team. He goes through the rest of the team. Uh, they didn't do this by themselves. They did it as a team, and they wanted to be recognized as a team. So kudos to you. Absolutely, brother. Keep up the good work. All right, guys. As you've seen, we've dispensed with our normal stuff. But again, you know, if you want to catch more of us, you guys can find us. Uh, just go to our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. Also, hit us up on our uh, social media, at Game of Crimes uh, on uh, Facebook. I'm sorry, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Go join our fans page, Game of Crimes fans. Type it in there. Sandy Salvato, our favorite mafia queen, you know, just answer a couple questions. We'll, we'll get you in there. And this is where we'll have some discussions about this. We hope you guys enjoyed this. Share this episode with everybody. Let mm-hmm. them know that there are good people in the world out there like this. You want people like this out there protecting your communities. And we're honored that we actually got uh, this interview uh, with Michael to talk about, you know, a obviously a very sad time in uh, Nashville's history, but at the same time, it's a learning lesson about the way things ought to be done. And this is how it ought to be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. As you guys see, as we say, thank you once again, this is, you want to talk about a dangerous game. There's nothing more dangerous than an active shooter. So um, that is the game of crime. So thank you guys for joining us. We'll get back to our regular stuff uh, the following week. So everybody be safe out there. And as you go to bed tonight, just think about that. Pray for these people and thank them when you see them, because very few people are willing to do the job that these guys did. And have a merry, merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.